I like to think of this as maybe like an American tale. You know, you're just hanging out like some mice. Yeah, there's there's a family of mice that are really entertaining, and then some of them sing sometimes. <laughs> they sing sometimes. That was the most sad. Don't, don't, don't. No. The <laughs> there you go, Nathan. You're getting you're killing it. <laughs> you're listening to the John Chi Show, hosted by three Korean American adoptees diving headfirst into what it means to be adopted, Korean American, and more. And now, here's your hosts, Nathan, Patrick, and KJ. Welcome back to the John Chi Show. It is I, your favorite host. Get out of here. The egotistical, maniacal Patrick's host. (laughs) Here we go with the big head again. I think when we do, well, I think when we do intros now, and you guys let me go in, I'm gonna, I gotta <laughs> take it. I'm gonna run yep, with yep, it. My, Patrick is now barred. <laughs> from Just intros. kidding. Welcome it's, back to the John Chi Show. <laughs> <laughs> you take it, KJ. No, that was good. Okay, welcome back to the John Chi Show. It is I, Patrick, one of your exquisite hosts, uh, alongside my two running mates, Nathan and KJ. Not so exquisite. Um, <laughs> they are just as exquisite, if not more spectacular than I. Why do I keep saying than I? I don't know. That sounds it's professional. You're a dictator. You're the it sounds dictator professional. <laughs> I'm dictating onto the podcast. <laughs> sure, that's. A I, but it, that's that's the type of dictator I am. Just a speaker, an orator, if you will. Um, we are very excited to be back. We have a great show and interview lined up for you today. But before we do that. For the new listeners, Nathan, please tell them what John Chi means. Thank you for that, Patrick. <laughs> John Chi <welcome>. means... <laughs> KJ's looking at me like, oh, whatever. <laughs> John Chi means feast or celebrate. Um, it is what we are using from the word Doljanchi, which is a first birthday celebration. And we are celebrating our Korean adoption heritage, our history, our experiences, and having a good old time doing this podcast so we enjoy that you are here thank you we do enjoy that you are here i am happy to bless you with my presence (laughs) um yeah we have a really great show uh a really great conversation with hannah lee uh author of the ones who misbehave um and we talk about a whole lot of stuff kj what do we talk about again we talk about being smooth like butter, like criminals undercover. Um, so that was a great chat. Uh, there's a lot of singing in the episode. Yeah, not by I haven't me. Actually, I, haven't, I haven't edited. I've only, I've literally only gotten to the food because that was the first thing that we did. So. Oh yeah, that edited. is the first thing that we did. Yeah, I haven't edited any more than that, but it's a really great conversation. Spoiler remember, alert for the food. I remember Spoiler. being super fun, and we just uh, ate butter. <laughs> Well, Hannah is, uh, she's traveled a lot of places um, to attend a lot of different rallies over the past year um, and is really getting out there in terms of activism, um, which also led to the book that she wrote uh, this past year, The Ones Who Misbehave, about a Korean adoptee uh, and her experience. Um, Just like Jen Frederick with Heart and Soul, this is a, it's a fictional adoptee narrative, which is something we don't see a whole lot of. So it was really fun to talk to her about that and learn the inspirations for what uh, that journey was like. So I really appreciate her sending us a copy too. I'm, I'm looking forward to diving into that. So yeah. Totes. Thank you for that. Hannah. Totes. Also, uh, she is the third now fictional 
Korean or fictional adoptee author uh, with Lauren Sharkey being. Oh yeah, exactly. So I think now that makes us like equal parts fiction and memoir or nonfiction authors. Good. Is that accurate? Is that accurate? Oh. Uh, I don't know. Fact check us, John G. People. It's fine. <laughs> we were about to we sit done. here and think about it. I was just no, no, about no. to sit here and think about it, yeah, but no, we don't no, have time no. for that. We are we equal opportunity. Time. Just just like we are this month of June, which is Pride Month. King of the Segway. 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 That was amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's really important. Uh, we were talking about this off air, but I, we think it's really important to be loud and proud for our support and um, encouragement for uh, the queer community, LGBTQIA plus community, however you identify, whatever pronouns or sexuality or whatever that you um, choose to label yourself with, wherever you find yourself on the gender and sexuality spectrum, we're here for you. Uh, we know as adoptees who are new to needing allyship, uh, to wanting allyship, and to being allies, um, we know that the intersection of uh, gender, of sexuality, adoption, and everything in between um, makes um, especially queer adoptee journeys really difficult and, and nuanced and hard, even as like, it's hard enough being one or the other and being both is especially unique. Um, so however, wherever you are, wherever you're listening, uh, we just want to let you know that we're here for you uh, and that hopefully our show, as much as it can be a safe space for you is um, we're doing our best to make that a, a reality. Definitely. Perfect. Love. love. <laughs> yeah. Love is love. Love is love. Love is love is love. And with that, we're going to go ahead and get to that interview with Hannah Lee. Roll, Roll it. it. Welcome back to the John Chi Show. We have an excellent interview for you today. A guest I've been really excited to talk with, and I'm very excited we could get her on the show. Please welcome. Wait a minute. What am I doing? What am I doing? Please welcome. What is this? Just let Everyone, go. Stop, oh, no. stop what you're doing. Pull over on the side of the road and clap your hands for the Hannah Lee. Maybe there is Don't alcohol crash, no. Keep both hands on your wheel, but also stop and pull over and then clap for us so that she can hear it whenever you, just whenever you do. And I appreciate everyone clapping. I'm having trouble right now with the words. Um, Hannah, it's thank you for... <laughs> it is totally the McDonald's. Um... Hannah, do you want me to do that again? Should I do run that nope. one more time? No, it's okay. Perfect. perfect. Listen Hannah, to you'll hear about McDonald's later in the episode. Hannah, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> How are you doing today? I'm really good. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. We have some wild energy right now. <laughs> we have some wild energy. We have some wild BTS energy. We got that pent up. We're trying to get it out right now. Spoiler alert. <laughs> it's like the McDonald's crack has us all like amped up right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay. Well, we're going to conjure some of that up into this really excellent conversation. So we're going to start this off the way that we start off all of our shows uh, and just asking for you to share as much or as little as you want about your adoption story. Okay. I was um, adopted when I was four months old. So I came over um, to Kansas on Kansas Day. So my Grammy calls me her little Kansas sunflower, which is so cute. <laughs> and uh, she sends me a card with used to be a savings bond, but now is a check. Um, every uh, anniversary of my Kansas day arrival, which is very sweet. Um, and it's weird because on my adoption paperwork, it says I'm from a place called Mopo, but I Googled it and you, I don't, it can't find it. 
So I don't know what it is. And <laughs> has anyone else heard of that? Mopo? I felt like I watched us all go for our keyboards. I was going to Google, but then I'm assuming Hannah has done her Googling job. This says it's a city in Jola province, South Korea. This is Wikipedia that I'm reading from. Southern tip. Mokpo. Mokpo. Has it been like renamed at all? I know that some cities have went through like a name change, right? I don't think so. I mean, it's in, yeah, Southern. It's like... Southern western tip of the peninsula. Mukpo. So how far away is that from like Seoul? Uh I mean Korea's not very big, so I would guess three or four hours maybe. Huh, crazy. But like you'd be closer like the other city that you would might know of, um, you would be closer to like Busan, but it's on so Busan is also a southern uh port city, but it's on the eastern side of the peninsula. Okay. I know Geography lesson. I was like, I know nothing about Korea. <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. <laughs> like not That's anything okay. about I know like two percent about Korea. Yeah, like I've not even looked at a map. I Googled that and I couldn't find it because I'm an idiot. He just Googled it and found it and I'm like, I Googled it and I could find <laughs> nothing. I swear. Okay. KJ's got a Korean keyboard. Maybe he he threw it in, <laughs> in Hangul. I don't know. <laughs> Magic. Um, yeah, so I, um, where was I? I? So I came from a place that I've never heard of before, but that's okay. And everyone else I know who's like adopted has not seemed to have heard of that place either. So kind of odd. And then, yeah, I grew up in Topeka, Kansas and um, went to like the nicest high school, I guess, in um, Topeka. I would, I don't know. I don't want to say the nicest. That's kind of biased to say. But it was, it's a very nice school district. Um, and it's very white. Um, and so, you know, you grow up and you are the only person who looks like you at all. And you don't think much of it, like when you're young, but then as you get older, this like kind of different hostility hits when you hit middle school. And, uh, that's kind of when like the worst of it started a lot of name calling a lot of shoving and physical violence you know that that starts when you're a teenager and you don't know how to process that because you know even in grade school the things that happened weren't um when you're in grade school you really don't realize things like pulling your eyes someone pulling their eyes back at you or you know ching chonging you or you know singing the Chinese, Japanese, dirty knees, look at these kind of things. You, you just, you're a kid. So you're just like, okay, like, whatever. You know, yeah, that's funny. Now you look like me, I guess. Okay. But it's like, you know, once, once somebody physically or verbally attacks you, it's like your life stops a little bit, I think. And then you have kind of this com- environment around you, your family who have no idea what racism is and so it's like even telling them you know stuff about what's going on they really can't comprehend it and they they treat you a little like it's your responsibility i think or or i'm not saying all parents do but they can or or kind of being like well what did you do what did you do to start that what did what did you do for them to do that to you it's like well, I was standing at my locker and then someone shoved my head into it and, you know, 
calls you a chink and you're just like, what just happened? But, you know, your life kind of stops at that point. And I think it you get a little stunted. And so for me, you know, continuing to grow up in that environment, you adapt very quickly. What can I do to fit in or not fit in? And I went the route of what can I do to absolutely not fit in to just give the utmost impression of this is what I look like. And it means like, stay away from me. Just don't mess with me. So Patrick, I know I was in your live last night. I brought up Jinko jeans. Oh, yeah. Because when <laughs> when I was in school, I wore, yeah. you know, the really big Jinko jeans. I wore like extra large men's T-shirts. Um, I would, you know, wear a lot of really dark makeup and, you know, just kind of looked <laughs> grumpy, uh, not approachable. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of how I dealt with it was just, you know, shaving like my hair really high up and underneath and, and then putting them in dreadlocks. Like I was super rebellious of, of any appearance I should have probably had. Um, but it was, you know, when I process it now as an adult, I realized I did a lot of that to give the impression of like, don't mess with me. I don't, you know. I don't, I'm not, the, I'm not, I don't fit in. So just don't mess with me, you know, and just kind of outwardly also expressing, you know, I don't fit in. I don't want to fit in because I wasn't fitting in anyway. So yeah, <laughs> I kind of grew up that way. Um, you know, I think as I've gotten older, you, you're finding or able to find people who are a little more open-minded about race and things like that. But there's just simply not enough Asian people here to have any education on even the past racism of Asians in this country. You know, they simply, they're not taught about it. So why would they go searching for that? And so, yeah, it's, it's really odd. (laughs) I think a lot of people think it's odd that I even still live here, but People are pretty nice in Kansas, to be honest. <laughs> All things considered. All things considered. Yeah. You know, kids are mean. <laughs> they're very mean. And I'm not saying as an adult, I don't get those microaggressions or, mm-hmm. um, you know, from older people, you know, that, you know, where are you really from that everyone gets. Um, but it's not here. It's not a place where people majority wise are opposed to anybody. I feel like. Strangely, Topeka is quite progressive, Mm. you know, and I think they're really trying. There's a, we have the Unity House here, or Equality House, I'm sorry. I don't know if you know about that, but it's a house that this organization bought and they paint rainbow colors and they bought it across the street from the Phelps community. Do you know who the Phelpses are? They're the, they're the most hateful group um, from. Yeah that hold the anti uh, LGBTQ signs. Yeah. Like the Southern Baptist type. Oh, they're so bad. They're the worst, but because they were here, Topeka has obviously not gone the way of them and it has kind of gone the opposite direction, I think. So yeah, like (laughs) I don't have a reason to leave here because it's really, you know, maybe ignorant people, but they're good people, you know, kind people. They're nice. Mm, Yeah. 
So I think that's, uh, I appreciate you sharing that uh, bit of your backstory. Um, and I think that's interesting. You talk about Topeka being a little bit more progressive, but as you were growing up and experiencing <clears throat> a lot of this stuff that a lot of us uh, experienced as kids growing up in middle school and like high school, and you adopt, or maybe not adopted, but you took on this, uh, this rebel persona, you know, like the not fit in, uh, like I don't yeah. want to fit in because of, because of these incidents. Um, what was, what was it like for you to, because I know you said it was like majority or all white, uh, in the community, in the school you were going to, what was it like developing just kinds of relationships? What kind of like friendships or support at that age were you able to, to form in your community or your circle? Um, that's a great question. Um, because if we're being honest, like I generally hung out with people who were probably not <laughs> not from the best backgrounds, um, and you know, not necessarily wealthy. I wanted. I I would actually say I probably hung out with the poor kids, maybe a little bit, um, or people that weren't quite as um, privileged. Yeah, people from more like low income situations. Yeah, so. yeah. I hate to say that because I feel like I'm talking bad about my friends. Um, but they were, you know, that kind of lower class of people were very accepting and they were also very empathetic of, you know, just, just being a human being who's maybe treated a different way because of a situation or whatever. But I really found that those were the people I kind of hung out with and clung to, um, because they were, 100% accepting of me and all other races, you know, um, I think a lot of people think that, you know, poor white people are the most racist group of people, but I completely disagree with that fact because they're the community of people living in integrated housing systems with, you know, black and Hispanic groups of people. Um, so yeah, that's kind of who I hung out with <laughs> in school and, and, uh, organized, um, a little family friend unit with. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's what you do in those situations is when you find a group that's willing to accept you, uh, unless you force your way into a friend group, but you make them accept you, which is kind of what I did, to be honest. Um, <laughs> you, but you cling to that. I think as, especially as adoptees, you know, for me personally, I'm like I'm always searching for connection. I know I was back then, um, which is why I did the actions that I did to uh, secure a friendship or to foster a relationship um, but I didn't know that's why I was doing that. And so mm -hmm. for you, like hearing your story and your experience, you know, I see a lot of myself, uh, and a lot of my personal experience, uh, that resonates with that. And, but like, you know, at that time, probably not thinking about it as an adoption related situation was, was that being an adoptee, um, part of that, or did that come later? Did that come after that? Was that more kind of ethnic, ethnically based, uh, situations that took you on that path versus like an adoptee style mindset? I think, yeah, it was more of, of an ethnic reason that I, that I did that. I honestly, um, strangely enough, didn't even have any sort of longing to even do an adoption search, you know, my whole life. And I, so I know everything's super weird to like my family and everybody now, because my whole life I'm like, I, you know, I have no interest in searching for my parents. Um, I have no interest in learning about my 
my heritage and my culture, it just wasn't something that was on my radar because I think I was like building my life. (laughs) And then, you know, of course, 2020 happens and you have the beginning of the pandemic and the president saying these terrible things that are inciting all the people who have had these pent up, you know, aggressions towards Asians apparently for a long time are just like, oh, now we're just free to do whatever. So, you know, it really started then because I was forced at that point to recognize my Asianness and how it separated me from everything else I thought I knew or thought was important. And so it took that, honestly, to, to even get me looking at the adoption community and searching for other Asian connection. And thank God for the internet, right? Like, because, <laughs> because you can find, you know, how was I supposed to know that there was this whole community out there of adoptees talking about these same things and going through the same things? And having all these realizations kind of at the same time I was, you know, and I was, I, you know, I had to learn all the phrases like coming out of the fog and, (laughs) and, you know, all this stuff. But I was so, (laughs) so lucky to be able to find so many people in, in such a short amount of time. And I think it's funny listening to your three individual episodes you did at the beginning, talking about how you first are like, how do I start? What do I do? And you search and you search and you find Jerry Wan every time, Dear Asian Americans <laughs> podcast. And he was one of the first people I remember contacting and just being like, you know, I'm a lost soul floating out in space and I'm looking for community. Can you help me? And, you know, he was always there to talk to me. So generous with his time, you know, and really listening to his podcast made me feel connected and just, you know, everything I saw him doing and talking about was, was really beneficial for me. You know, I really needed him, I think, at that point that beginning step. And it's it's just crazy that he kind of has been there for all of us at the same time when we needed it. That's very, that's very interesting. Yeah. So you listened to our episodes and heard his name come up and then you reached out to him or did you reach out to him before that? No. Patrick's <laughs> out- about to get very angry. <laughs> no, I, dare you. Oh, <laughs> I was just, I was just interested. I was like, that's no, it. That's really interesting. I reached out to him, you know, a year ago over okay. like a year ago. Sure. Now. So when I first, when 2020 and the whole Asian um, attack started, you know, my first post on Instagram about it was like March 21st of 2020, mm-hmm. um, you know, where I started seeing it. I'm just like, oh my God, this can't be true. Um, but, yeah. you know, it was kind of then that I got activated and in looking for community and connection, you know, podcasts are amazing ways to mm-hmm. uh, get in touch with so many people all at once, you know, listening to their stories. So you know, you search Asian Americans in Google and his is like really the first kind of podcast that comes up and it's Dear Asian Americans. And you're just like, okay, this is where I start, you know? And Mm. so you start listening to Jerry's podcast. And interestingly enough, the first episode I listened to, he was doing with Corey Angry, uh, Mm. Su Jung. That's a good, that's a good episode. Yes. And because of that episode, I got in contact with her and she published my first um, article in her zine. So nice. Yes. So Jerry is just like the connection maker of Asians. 
Yeah, yeah and it's kind of like the Stan Lee of Asian American <laughs> yeah. media. Bringing everyone together. Just... Always, always making a cameo. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I could just hear him saying, no, 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 and be saying something super humble about not wanting the credit right now. I can just <laughs> no, I think he might be, be listening like, right I'm now. I'm more than just like, a, a casual bus driver. <laughs> yeah, okay, I can hear him say that yeah. too. That's funny. And now he's furious that we're talking about <laughs> him like that on the show. <laughs> no, the thing about Jerry is uh, he's made comments before about how the the pandemic and the the anti-asian hate has although been horrible for a lot of people and and for you know um the country and stuff in general and you know the racists that are coming out of the you know coming out of the woodworks he has said that in a way it's brought the awareness of that and it's brought the awareness of his show and it's brought mm-hmm. um, representation uh other people making moves to create new podcasts create new outlets um, joined mm-hmm. together in a way, so mm-hmm. good has come out of the bad, and I, and I definitely have, have been very thankful for his work and of everyone else's work that has that has started something this year, written a book, written a song, and it's it's I think it's really great. So um, that's great that you have done your own thing with his inspiration, I guess. As a, <laughs> as a, as a, yeah, gas and Jerry up. So, Hannah, I'm curious. Um, I just want to make sure I kind of have, like, your story straight up to to now. Um, Is it accurate to say that being Asian wasn't really a thing that you actively thought about or pursued? Like, you talked about, like, not really caring about your heritage as much until kind of 2020? Well, I mean, I did know. You obviously know you're Asian and different, but I think. Right, yeah. um, I think when you like have friends that you're friends with for a really long time, you forget. Does that make sense? And so like for a long time I had like this, I've had, you know, very close knit group of friends and you don't, and you stop recognizing that you're Asian and you're just like mm-hmm. all friends. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Yeah. That makes perfect sure, sense. Probably not just you too. I'm sure they forget that. You're Asian, right, you're yeah, you know, them. like my aunt, yeah. she's just like, well, you're just, you know, you're just my Hannah, <laughs> you know? mm, yeah. And, yeah. and so, you know, um, that's great, but but then it kind of stings, I guess, when when you have we have something happen in your life that makes you kind of look at everything completely differently. Like maybe you've opened your eyes for the first time in your life, and you're like, this is not cool. And all of this is triggering all of the things I've gone through in the past. And it's time to stop ignoring the fact that I am different and stop trying to fit in and stop trying to be invisible and start saying, this is where I'm coming from. And from this point on, I cannot just let this shit slide anymore. You know, Mm -hmm. so I think a lot of people woke up in 2020, um, to their identities or, or maybe even to the power of connecting with people who look like you that you see getting attacked and you just feel something inside that's like, I can't not talk about this because, mm-hmm. you know, even if all my followers at this point are white and even if all of them know me to be a certain person in a certain way, this is too important for them to not recognize how this affects me and how this affects everybody if you take the time to have empathy and pay attention 
Yeah, I think that's like such a hard thing about trying to describe to uh, literally anyone else about what coming out of the fog is like. And it's like, can you imagine living your whole life and then however many years, 10, 20, 60 years into your life, you realize that you've been doing things one-handed, but you actually have a left arm like this whole time <laughs> that you just have somehow been ignoring, you know? Yeah. I don't, it's, such a, it's such an interesting thing. Um, but I wanted to go back... Uh, just because I'm I'm curious about this and, and I'm curious about how this kind of affects your story. So you said when you were younger, especially like in high school, that you had kind of rebelled and you and you really leaned into being different, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with uh, the fashion that you chose and the hairstyles that you chose and things like that. Um, who were you looking at to? Because I'm I had to work really hard to dress like a basic white guy, and now <laughs> I have to work like extra hard to dress different than a basic white guy. <laughs> um, so, and like, and I went to private school, right. Which is like as deeply assimilation culture and as deeply white supremacy culture as it can be um, without yeah. ever saying that. Right. So I was like, sure. yeah, this is what this, this was my uniform. I didn't have to think about fashion, but I'm always so interested because fashion says a lot about you. Um, mm-hmm. And like, can, can say, you know, like who you want to be. So who were you looking to for influences in how to dress how to cut your hair. Was it like a, I want to be like this person or were you like, whatever I do, I just don't want to be like this other group. I was into, um, a lot of corn and Limp Bizkit and Deftones and, uh, you know, Orgy and all, you know, kind of, and Ramstein. So, um, you know, I kind of dressed like them a little bit, but I also, took a lot of inspiration from, and I don't want to get terrible feedback on this because I know she's controversial right now for her Harajuku girls, Gwen Stefani. Oh. Harajuku girls. I don't know how to pronounce it. I'm not 100% sure, but I've heard, I've seen a headline or two. Yeah, I think, about how, uh, in the uh, past you know, cultural weeks. appropriation and she's, she's yeah. getting it right now. So sorry if that's offensive to anybody um, to mention her, but Back in the nineties. <laughs> I mean, I don't you think know. it's offensive to like say her name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> probably shouldn't just you probably shouldn't. I think be it would here, be offensive like, if you Gwen backed Stefani. her up. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's still good. Yeah. But so. you know, she was uh, you know, a very unique individual during that mm-hmm. time with a lot of crazy fashion and, you know, kind of girl power and um yeah, so I, you know, kinda all of that. <laughs> Yeah. crazy music from the 90s you get a little inspiration from and blink 182 <laughs> it could go on Definitely. and on and Heck on yeah. but you know just rebellious punk oversized you know like those cats that get real big and they're like you know don't mess with me that's mm-hmm. what i was kind of going for <laughs> yeah i was just <laughs> curious style. like because i remember <laughs> when i was younger um and i went to public school uh that's when i was like introduced to uh like punk music and hip hop and all of those things. But obviously hip hop being the genre that it is like, that was a main point of diversity for me. And Mm -hmm. because it was public school in Texas, like it was um, my uh, school district had like a large percentage of minorities generally from Latin America, but also black people and South Asian people. And like, there's like one or two other um, East Asians with me. But uh, so that was just like where my diversity was from. And so Mm -hmm. I was like, um, I think we've t- kind of talked about on the show just like who we look to to emulate and things. But I, um, 
I know that when I was younger, being Korean felt like a superpower or felt like a, a secret identity that I could lead into, that it was a, a thing that I could choose to be like, well, this is who I am and this makes me different. That helped me escape from the being different, like physically disabled, right? Um, so like I could escape into being Korean and yet, you know, for a lot of adoptees, sometimes being Korean, like, even though you're aware that you're ethnically different and whatever, mm-hmm. like that's not an identity that we choose to escape into. So I was curious about, um, just kind of your I- identity journey from, uh, you know, from high school and, and knowing that you're different and then choosing to like amplify that and just be like, yes, I'm different. And just how, um, different that path is i'm saying different or not a lot but but how how different that journey was in high school to maybe what you're going through now where you were like i know that i am not i don't look like the majority i don't live um through that lens but i am again choosing to amplify the thing that makes me unique and the thing that makes me um a more diverse part of the story of america today you know <laughs> yeah there's not really a question in there. I was, I was just, like, I was like, I don't know if you want me to say something. I mean, if you have, if that spurred something to say, go for it. I don't have I a don't, strong question in there. I don't. Just, like, just don't say the word I different. Just was, uh, different. You can though. Oh yeah. I don't know. I was just, I was just curious about, um, yeah, that just what about that journey has been different? You know, I think, you know, I, I think as a person you evolve and, you know, so as, as an adult, I've, you know, grown out of that like crazy looking stage, I hope. Um, and, <laughs> you know, but I think inside I'm kind of doing the same thing. You know, I got bullied. I acted on it. How do I, how do I do something about this? And then this was very internally like an internal attack, um, having to see all these things happening to other people. You know, it was, an internal attack on everything I've tried to keep inside me, I guess, for a long time. But it was even Black Lives Matter and all that happening. You know, if you can't empathize with anybody who's a victim of racism, then you're not empathizing right. You know, you should see (laughs) any person who's getting attacked and you should feel for them and you should not want that to continue to happen for anybody. But yeah, I think, you know, my personal evolution in my style has now been to take something that was affecting me internally instead of physically this time, but was still attacking me in the same way and making me feel those same um, emotions. And this time, instead of changing my physical appearance, I guess I'm putting that all out um, to do something to, you know, to show as much support as I can for this movement and for the people who are fighting so hard and for everyone who's working you know, their nine to five day job and then out patrolling in those streets in the evenings and going to these rallies on the weekend. This is their life. And I have no right to do any less. You know, I try as hard as I can to get to as many rallies as possible to support as many people as I can, you know, and that's that's my lashing out, I guess, so to speak, at, at this particular event. I was going to say with your your lashing out, your your expressing your emotions, your, your feelings about this is, has, at what point did you decide that it was going to be writing? Is that part of it or is there more other things? Did it just naturally progress into that? What's crazy is that, um, I never intended on writing anything, but I was reading very rapidly. Like I read, um, 12 books in three months 
And, you know, I spent a, a majority of my time was researching. The first part was researching and reaching out online and connecting. But I just did as much reading as I could. I bought every book, um, you know, that any adoptee recommended about their adoption path or any book then I was connected to through buying that book. Um, and I just read as much as I could, as quickly as I could. And reading those adoption stories, you, people's actual stories um, of their lives, or even reading anthologies, which are shorter stories of, of many people's lives on top of the Asian hate, just, it was too much. It was too much. And I couldn't keep it in. And I, you know, I couldn't figure out what I could do to get this out of me. So I just started writing and I wrote a book in three months um, wow. about everything that I had backed up in my mind about all the stories I was hearing, you know, seeing in these books and all the things that were happening with people getting attacked and other adoptees talking about their journeys. And I took all that and I kind of just compiled it into my book because that was my journey exactly was was just you know being told how crazy I am all the time because I started speaking about Asian hate and just or or talking to people about racism and they would just always always just say you are crazy you're so crazy you know you need to get help you need to go to inpatient treatment at this point you're just going too far and so you know I kind of went well fuck you then you, you want to see me go to treatment? I'll take myself to treatment in my book where I'm going on this journey of all these other people and their stories that are so messed up too. And that's kind of what I was going through. And I just kind of narrated it as I went. So all the people, all the characters in my book are based off of a lot of real people and a lot of real interactions I was having um, at that time uh, that inspired those characters. So, you know, a lot of people are like, how many years did it take to write your book? I'm like, I got it done in three months because it was all <laughs> not it, even one. It was just all there. <laughs> well, I mean, to, like you had yeah. lived for however many years before. Right. And then it's also, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've been writing this technically for, you know, 38 yeah. years. So, or 37, because that's how old I was when I wrote it. But let's, Let's talk a little bit more about the book. Uh, it is the ones who misbehave. I'm holding uh, oh, the book up here because I have, Dang, I have the cop. I have a copy. Hannah was very gracious to send me one, even though I offered to pay her for the copy of the book. Um, I, I thought it was amazing. I read this book in a day and a half. Um, uh, once I picked it up, I told you I couldn't put it down. I thought it was fantastic. Um, could you talk a little? I know you. You've given a lot of like. One of my questions is going to be, what was the impetus? And I think that you touched on that very eloquently. Um, I was wondering if you could share just a little bit of the synopsis of the book um, for our listeners. And then um, I have a follow-up question after that. Okay. Yeah, sure. My book. <laughs> Way to um, go, buddy. One question at a time. Structuring it out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good job. I was, I, I, otherwise, I'd have to be like, what was the next part? That second. So, good job. Patrick has a habit of that. Um, but yeah, my <laughs> book follows uh, the main character, Van, who, which is short for Vanessa, um, through this journey of having to go to uh, inpatient treatment because she kind of got in this altercation at work, which was a little explosive. And so she's kind of forced to do this treatment to keep her job. And in going to treatment you know, starts out kind of how I think everyone starts out just fed up and done with the 
BS and lashes out a lot um, without wanting to go any deeper into any other emotion besides anger. Uh, and then during the time here, of course, meets um, new people who are either already at treatment or coming into treatment. And each of their stories kind of helps Van feel a lot less alone. And in talking to a therapist um, about her problems, who was also an adoptee, um, which, by the way, should be a thing, was able to, you know, connect with an Asianness and, um, you know, this kind of feeling more included in a community that she was very separated from in the beginning. And um, each of these characters have very complex stories within themselves. Um, like I said, each of those stories are absolutely real, which makes it hard to process. But she finds this community that she's going to be part of forever now and feels connected to and connects to other people who have gone through similar traumas um, and comes out on top in the end. So one of the things that... And then you, you you touched on it before um, that I really, really enjoyed was that, you know, this is Vanessa's story, but it's your story. And it's a lot of other people's stories that you've heard and, and experienced and, and have been able to share. Um, and that's one of the things that drew me in immediately was just uh, the resonance of reading an adoptee specific narrative from a fictional lens that really captures the experience of an adoptee, but is not, uh, as we talked about with Jen Frederick, is not like an overarching or a universal. Like this is a universal experience an adoptee has, but this is these are things that you can really relate to and resonate with. You know, there is truth in here in, in each of these in each of these pages. Um, the book has been out for a while. Um, my uh, my question is, what has been the response from the community? You know, you're, you have been, like you said, this is 2020 has been the time for you to come out of that shell and to really start engaging. Then you put this book together in three months and you said, here you go. And, you know, I love it. What has everybody else been? What's the reaction been? Um, okay. So from like the Asian community uh, and adoptees, it's very positive. I've got, I've gotten like a lot of really great feedback as far as, um, you know, it really kind of expressing how they feel, the anger they feel and, and being like, I'm angry too. And you're and this person's angry. And so, you know, you can relate to these feelings that are kind of, um, that can kind of happen to everybody. You know, even if one thing didn't happen to you, you can relate to something else that did. And so that's kind of been my response is that, you know, it was like, it's, you know, perfect timing for this book to come out, you know, because the, the racism and all those kind of things are very relevant right now. Um, but the response I've gotten from, say, friends and family who bought it, you know, to support me has been a, quite different um, in the sense that they either seem to feel guilty um, that all that was happening to me or things similar to that were happening to me that whole time we knew each other and they simply did not know it was happening, um, which I did not write it to hurt anybody or make anybody feel guilty. So, you know, that's been a kind of sad part for me is to kind of hear people from my life and who were there those years kind of reaching out and being like, I read your book and, you know, I cried the whole time reading it because I just didn't know that any of this was going on, um, you know, and then of course you have the ones who just 
are are kind of hurt by it, so they're not willing to see past how it hurt them. Mm. Yeah. So <laughs> good and bad. You know, one of the th- another thing that I really loved about the book is that it's very much your your piece of art, your work, but it's for everyone. It's for a lot of people and it's very inclusive, I think. I think it is inclusive tale. I think it's a very specific lens, but I do think it invites everyone in. And I think when especially when you have stuff like that, people are resistant to things that challenge what they already know or how they how they've experienced things or how they think they thought they experienced them. And so to hear it from a different perspective, especially from a fictional lens, which is a, the other thing that I really love about it. I don't think there's enough adoptees that are the forefront of a fictional tale, a fictional narrative um, that does universalize uh, or not universalize, but does allow for the inclusivity uh, for other people. And, you know, I I guess I don't really know where I was going with that, <laughs> but um, just that just to just to, I just want to reaffirm you with what what you've put out, because I think, like you said, this was the absolutely the right time for this to come out. The story needs to come. The story needed to come out because we need more stories like this in our community. We need to be able to find pieces of, uh, of literature like this to be able to consume because we didn't have that when we were growing up. And one of the things that I really love about Vanessa and who is really an amalgam of you, like an, like a, uh, it's, it's Hannah but as this fictional character is uh, after hearing about your growing up and you're lashing out, I can see that I can see that in the character. I can see you here in the character. And one of the things that drew me to you was not actually the book or the fact that you were an adoptee, but was the amount of like activism work that I saw you doing. And whether that was just showing up at rallies or whatever the case was, I would have not thought that you had just started this journey in 2020. I would have thought you've been doing this your whole life because you are, when you talk about being activated, like you are out there. Anybody that follows you on Instagram would see that. You're literally at rallies all across the country. And I'm like, where do you even live? <laughs> you are literally everywhere. I'm like, I didn't even know live you lived where, in airport. Kansas because you're just literally everywhere. It's Frequent amazing. Like it is, it's aspirational. Like it's aspirational, inspirational because it's, it's just, it's really incredible. And I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about that piece of your work, you know, because I think this book is part of that activism. I think this book is part of that sharing and spreading the message of community and what we need to hear right now. So I was wondering if you could just share a little bit about that specific part of your work and what you do. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for saying all that. That was so nice of you. I almost cried. Um, But um, yeah, you know, I, I didn't know what I was doing when I started and I really was reaching out to anybody and everybody. And through that, I found a movement called they can't burn us all. And it was led by Will Lex Ham and China Mac. And I didn't know who either of those guys were at all, but they were the first Asian group I saw on the streets protesting. And I wanted to get out there for black lives matter. And I was, I was scared because of what you, what the media does and all those things. And I, so I didn't, you know, I was like, I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to chill and keep writing my book and keep doing my research and working on myself and I'll, you know, we'll get through this. But then, you know, the attacks kept happening. And so when I found this group, I started watching them and then there just came a day. I, you know, I kind of told my husband, I said, I can't watch these groups, you know, 
out there protesting and they, you know, they were in New York and they were in DC and they were in um, California. So I went out to California for their rally because I was just like, I think like a lot of Asians when they are adoptees, um, when they start trying to get involved in activist work, we can be met with some resistance from the Asian community online. Let's specify online. Um, <laughs> and it's hurtful because you're trying to be part of a community that you've never been part of before, but have always been a part of. And then to have people kind of be like, you and your white family can just go over here or with your white adjacentness and, you know, Twinkie, all that stuff. So it's like, okay. So, you know, it really got me thinking though, you know, it's like, I'm going to be part of this because I am part of this. So if you can't accept what I'm doing online, then I will show you what I'm about and I will be attending a, these ra or a rally, you know, and I'll get out there with the people and I will march with those people and I will stand with those people and I will talk to those people in person and see how this community really feels about adoptees. And to be honest, they have no idea about adoption, about Asian adoptees, about any of it. And it was so mind blowing to stand there and have these conversations with people who just don't know we exist. So to be like, I'm adopted and I'm from here from Kansas, I'm in LA, but I'm here, you know, I'm from Kansas. I flew out here to be with you. I'm adopted. You know, they were immediately like, tell me more about what that was like, what that's like for you, how that's been for you. They were, they just had no idea. And so it was learning, you know, it was a teaching moment for everyone involved. Um, you know, to the point where now I've gone to so many rallies and so many people are the same people and they know what I'm about and they know that my purpose is not only to be supportive of them and to stand with this movement, but also to, con you know, have actual face-to-face -face communication and conversations with real people and learn about their lives and their culture and, and their, you know, um, religious ceremonies, how they celebrate birthdays, how they celebrate all these things that I never knew about. I've learned more from these people and having real conversations than I have in my entire life of any personal person's culture or history other than white history. So it's it's been the most education I could ever receive. Commend you for that. It's a great thing to actually participate in these events. Um, like you said, in person to talk to the people where nobody rejects you in real life. Exactly. Right. The cowardness that there is on the internet of people and their comments, the mm -hmm. haters, the trolls, uh, the, the ability to say whatever they feel like they can say online because they're safe behind the sure. computer. I, I really hate that. And that's, um, it, it takes a lot to, to do what you did and just say, then screw you. I'm going to these things by myself or with, I don't know if you went by yourself. Usually but by with, myself, with, yeah. Sometimes by myself. Wow. Again, yeah, that, that's, that's amazing. So I, I commend you for that because it's one of the things about the internet and social media that I've really been disturbed about is the amount of people that just feel that they can just bash other people from behind a computer. Exactly. And it's uh, just cowardly. Yeah, so. Yep. 
Yeah, and a hundred percent agree with Nathan. Ex- incredibly commendable. I think that you know something I've really been pushing for is and learning, and something that I've really learned is you know we can't we can't stop the hate against us until we stop the hate against everyone. And one of the ways to do that is like I think when people think about learning about other cultures, it's like you can only learn about the trauma and you can only learn about the terrible things. And then it's like, oh, I don't want to learn about this because it's so terrible. But that's not what every group of people is made up of. We're made up of so many more things. And like you said, what's your birthday? Like, why why do you guys do this thing this way or eat this type of food? Like, what's the the joy behind it? Like, uh, because that's what our cultures are really built on. It's uh, about about strength and about progressive movement and certain cultures will adopt or take on traits and characteristics and and policies that negate those things like this like this country that we live in right now uh tends to do but you know i think that as terrible as everything is there are more than enough opportunities for us to come together and learn about each other and if we're just willing to make put the effort in to do that then we can start moving forward we can go from one step forward, two steps back to reversing that and always making progress. We're always at least moving a step ahead. So everything that you're doing is what I aspire to to be doing and to be on the ground, especially here locally in Indianapolis, but uh, wherever I can get to. And seriously, every time I see a rally happening, it's just like, where's Hannah? It's like, it's a where's Waldo of the photos. It's like, she's here. Oh, there she is. Um, up in the front too. Um, and I think that's the other thing. The last thing I'll say about it too, is the fact that you're having these conversations about, uh, from an adoptee lens, because that is your lived experience, but, um, that nobody knows, you know, when some people find themselves in that situation, it's easy to not necessarily say anything about it, but the fact that you continue to talk about it and you continue to show up where these people now know you and know what you're about and you have built this platform for yourself. Uh, in conjunction with the larger community, you know, that's what, that's what I think uh, I would love for all adoptees to be able to do if that's what they want to do, you know, in in terms of sharing is be able to get to that point where they've built that platform for themselves uh, within the larger groups that we need to operate within. So thank you so much for your work. It's really amazing. Thank you. You guys are so nice. It's like, you know, because like, I don't think of myself as an activist and I don't think that's something you can like label yourself, but it's like, it's, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's you probably weird. could, but it'd be like, because not a good look. Everyone's talking now and they're, they're using a term accidental activists. And that's what, you know, that's what we've mm-hmm. all kind of become is we didn't set out to do any of this. It just happened because it's necessary and because we feel compelled to to speak up and do something about it. Cause we're just, just a different de- generation, you know, we're just not going to do it <laughs> anymore, apparently. So it's been amazing, you know, watching everybody start talking about it in a big way. It's, it's been incredible to watch people coming out of their shells and talking about it for the first time, even, you know, but yeah. everyone's talking about it and, and that's how you make things happen. You know, for um, as difficult and hard and uh, awful as the internet can be, I think it like has really done so much for so many people in literally giving them a platform for their voices. Um, and I know that there is a lot of gatekeeping, and I know that there is 
a lot of hate and uh, energy spent on the internet, um, which is kind of mind-boggling to me. But um, Hannah, I love that you are courageous enough to write and to go places, um, to uh, think and then like to act, right? And I think it is a rare person um, who gets both uh, giftings and who excels in both things, right. To, to do both of those things. So I'm really excited. And I think that, uh, one of the things that Patrick was saying, um, and I'm really excited to go pick up your book, but one of the things that, that we love on the show and especially me with fiction novels that center adoptee stories is, um, it's really hard to talk about what it's like to be an adoptee in a way that, um, isn't personal. Um, and so a lot of what's so difficult, and I think personally what I'm grateful for you and, and writers like you who write uh, fiction, especially that center adoptee stories, is it creates then a safe space for adoptees to have conversation with their families, with their allies, with their uh, friends who thought they're allies and they found out they weren't allies, um, mm-hmm. to talk about some things that affect them personally, but that kind of take the personal side of it out of there. So it becomes then a greater and deeper conversation about identity, right? And I love that um, that you are bringing your adoptee identity into these rallies and into these things because like, I know I just know about me. Uh, I'm not necessarily a rally goer. Um, it's not necessarily what I'm. Uh, I'm not necessarily that person, and probably will be once I get settled again, kind of in a local community. Um, but like, I'm not going to necessarily be the one to go and fly out there. But I think that. Um, like adoptees, we talk about uh, this kind of being a new wave of adoptee activism and at least um, just identity work mm-hmm. within our community, uh, as we've seen in the internet, um, just because 2020 was such a, a year that globally forced people to do some identity work. So um, I just want to say thank you for helping to blaze the path, blaze the trail just a little bit uh, for adoptees after you. Um, and I think that that's, you know, we talked about like, it, it sounds like really that your timeline, the timeline of your journey and Patrick's journey, uh, really lines up, um, mm-hmm. and, and is parallel in a, in a pretty unique way. Um, and you know, the hope of our show is just to be just kind of like guides along the journey of whether it's, whether you want to call it coming out of the fog or just like yeah. figuring out who the, fork you are um and just like (laughs) just just understanding like oh man okay yes i am enough like i just patrick i just saw that you had posted you're like yeah no i'm I'm asian enough and you might have written this a while ago but i don't live on the internet so (laughs) i don't know but um but like i think that's that's such a uh a key threshold for adoptees uh especially transracial adoptees is to accept themselves as enough and then move forward and then yeah like you build actual human relationships and you're able to listen and listen and listen and you realize there is not that much that separates us Asian adoptees from us Asian Americans. And these these barriers that we feel like we're so big and so massive are actually really small. And then we get to be part of a, a community that pushes for change and part of a community that pushes to make a more beautiful world. So Mm-hmm. thank you so much uh for all that you do for um as much as you've shared on the podcast as much as you have shared um in your book as much as you have and will share in your life um for yeah just for being uh, such a fantastic part of our community and and doing so much where can people find you if they want to support you if they want to be like you if they just want to say like hey you're the greatest where can people <laughs> find you on the internet to give you love 
Um, I would say find me on Instagram. I'm on there all the time. It's become my life now. It's kind of crazy. Um, so I'm saying yeah. it's a lot of energy spent on the internet and I don't get it. I appreciate <laughs> it, but I don't get it. Yeah. It's, it's constant. Like I have a lot an Instagram live. I have to watch after this. Um, but <laughs> you can find me the Hannah Lee on Instagram. Perfect. All right. Well, uh, Hannah, thank you very much for coming on the show and we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will be diving into the happiest of meals Maybe not quite, but uh, <laughs> certainly um, a very fun Korean-American fusion food item. So we'll be right back. Smooth like butter. Welcome back. We just had an incredible interview with Hannah Lee, and she is joining us for an excellent meal. Um, Nathan, tell the audience what we're eating today. Well, it is trending across the country, and it is the BTS meal for McDonald's. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> I, I was waiting for cheers and applause, but not oh, no. dead silence. Yeah. Not, yeah, 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 not yeah. to be Just confused with behind-the-scenes meal. This is <laughs> BTS, the musical group, Sensation, from Korea. That's about all I know. KJ, what do you know about BTS. I know literally nothing about them. <laughs> this is one of those times when I just know that they're a popular boys group and uh, they are fine. I listened to some of their songs. and Didn't you cover one of their songs? No. I thought oh. about it. Oh, okay. I a lot of their songs have a lot of like English and stuff. And so yeah. I'm like, well, I want to like challenge myself. No, oh, cop, I see. cop out. So. I can already hear a few <laughs> specific fans screaming. At their, Here's the at deal. Screaming at us right now. I just explained this to my family. Actually, my thing is like I feel like the K-pop K-pop boys bands. I feel like they're all like I'm a sentimental, sweet, emotional boy, and that's what my music is. <laughs> and all the girl bands are like I'm a freaking boss and I'm a rule the world. And I'm like I want that energy in my life. I don't need sweet sentimental boy energy in my life. <laughs> so I end up listening to more girl uh, K-pop groups than guy K-pop groups. Well, that that makes sense. So. Hannah, Hannah, what do you know about me too? Um, I know that my 14 year old's friends love them. And that's all. Mm. <laughs> okay. I thought there were going to be more degrees of separation. My 14-year-old's friend's uncle's dog actually was featured as the dog in one of BTS's music videos. Whoa. So it, it just stopped. <laughs> it's funny that you say that, Hannah, because my Emily, my fiance, she's an eighth grade English teacher. She has a mm -hmm. student named Emily who is obsessed with BTS and Korean culture. I believe she has started listening to our show. Oh, so, dear. Emily, when you get to this part of the wherever you at or whenever you have gotten here, um, I know that you recently tried the BTS meal, and I'm sorry that I don't know very much about BTS. <laughs> <laughs> One day Jeez. I will, I promise. I, I feel like I know more about the BTS meal than I know about BTS because exactly. it's like all over Facebook right now. I mean, I don't know how many people I've seen post photos of them eating it or a picture of it and... And I'm like, oh, okay, so PTS has a, has a meal. I'm like, well, that's cool because, hey, great, you know, let's get some representation out there where you know we have. Have you, know, you seen Korean how much the bags and like the wrappings and sauces are going for online? Oh, really? People oh, are selling yeah. them. Like the wow. bag, just the BTS paper bag in pristine condition is going for like thirty bucks. 
Wow. Is this, the, is this it? Is that, that with the purple on it? Yep, that says BTS. Oh, I see it. Inter- international people want Oh, what the heck? Why didn't I get it? Man. <laughs> oh, see, sold out. I'll pay out. you for it. Sold out. How much what do you need to pay me for it, KJ? Like two cents. I'll this pay, I'll pay you the cost $7. So I got to at least get eight. <laughs> <laughs> so from what I can tell of the BTS meal and what I've seen online, uh, the only difference to this McNuggets, 10-piece McNugget meal is the sauces. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's so, my immediate. That was my immediate thought on it. I don't know how. I don't know how in we should be going on the meal. You know, I always get. I've. I've always get critiqued by our producer uh, for maybe <laughs> potentially describing the items that we try on here, not the best ways sometimes. <laughs> but I was when I was getting ready for this. I was and when I knew we were going to do this today. I was like, yeah, I got a bone to pick. I feel like it is just a ten-piece McNugget meal with two sauces. So you don't have a bone to pick because the the chicken McNuggets are boneless. That's true. I got a so. bone. <laughs> McDonald's, McDonald's like was like, it's like I'm going to go ahead and take away the bone that you could have picked. Yeah, Nathan, right. I'm try- I, that was my best Nathan Good job. Impression. I like that. <laughs> okay, everyone, read me your best Korean. Sweet, Sweet chili. chili. Nice. We did it. But can you say it like a Korean? Uh, Sweet chili. That's pretty Sweet good. Sweet chili. Chidi. Is that I really how you say it? I do an Asian yeah. accent to save my Chidi. life. <laughs> and then this one is Keijun. Keijun. Okay, yeah, that's actually an heart. interesting thing because mm. I feel like with the accent, I feel like when I talk about it like that, it almost seems derogatory, but it's not because I'm trying to speak the language or the words. In yeah, that you're literally way. pronouncing you it go the way into that, it. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's sweet chidi. I was gonna say it's must be it's got to be a fine line. I mean, how you're pronouncing something if you're looking at it, trying to pronounce it correctly versus when you're imitating something uh, that's maybe in a humorous way, I think that would be different. Um, but I get what you're saying on that totally. Cause I've, I have done some things like that, but this specifically now here's the thing that for your bone picking Patrick, um, these are limited edition sauces. Oh so, man. So you're saying that by tearing off the lid, I have already degraded the value yes. of my... and if you really love the sauce, you'll never be able to get it again. The BTS wow. meal, the McRib of the Korean uh, or the K-pop <laughs> groups. This uh, is the McRib? This is the Korean McRib. K-pop is that what you're saying? There you go. Yeah. All right. Both so the sponsorship um, and the meal itself. So who knows? In. Maybe they'll come back with it again. I don't know, but... Not after but, this yeah. review. I don't know. <laughs> hey, I'm all for limited edition stuff. Come on, this is you right are. Up my alley. New. That's right. Yeah, this it is came new. on the shelf. Whoa. When you told me that we were gonna do this, I was all on You board immediately with it. I don't even think I finished sending the message about the <laughs> BTS meal and Nathan had already responded yes. I was like, yes. <laughs> Somehow Let's read my mind and was ready yeah. to go. It's called morphic fields. And here's the other thing is I normally do not eat like a whole lot of chicken McNuggets. I, I always get the burgers when I'm there. So, so that's me. What about you, Hannah? Do you uh, you frequent the, oh, the chicken it's McNugget the nuggets. world? It's the nuggets. Okay. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. What do you like about them? It's uh, I don't know. It's something. They're not like Wendy's or any of the other nuggets. You know, look at it. But like, what sets them as the notch above yeah. the rest it's of the fast food? It's the crunch. Meals? It's that crunch. I think. Okay. Okay. You know, okay. Good crunch on a fried piece of food. I hear you. 
All right. Which which one did you guys try first? I'm already on both, both of them. Yeah. You tried oh, them both yeah. already? Okay. I did one up. nugget and I did both. Let me catch up. Uh, you were bragging about how you only eat burgers, and I was like, uh, well, I'm just going to try both of these sauces. Um, I had the sweet chili first. Mm-hmm. Here for it. It is yeah. really, really good, and I don't know how to describe it any more than really, really good. Sweet and spicy? It is sweet and spicy, but it's got like, it's got like a, a type of spice that is familiar to me, and I can't place it. Like, it's not like, oh, it's like buffalo, kind of. Like, you know how buffalo sauce has, like, a specific type of spiciness, like, hits you in a specific way? Mm-hmm. This like, that's me... what... Oh, go ahead. What? Sorry. Was... No. It made me laugh because, so, not from when we're recording this, but last night uh, in this real time, I uh, did a live, Instagram live with Jordan Van Hemert. And he's talked about how buffalo was his absolute least favorite taste. I was so shocked. Really? Did you see yeah. my comments in that? Wow. No, I couldn't. That was when I couldn't see the comments. Oh, so I, I missed them. I was just them. like, that is like my most favorite sauce ever. I know. I I, I, that's what I was saying. I was like, that's interesting because I really enjoy buffalo sauce. Yeah, mm-hmm. me too. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, Gordon, to so bring that back up. but <laughs> Don't get the sweet chili from BTS sauce, because uh, well, it's not that. Buffalo. I don't get. It's, like I don't, strict- it's funny. I don't get that <laughs> buffalo taste really. Yeah, I don't get too much of the buffalo. The the Cajun one, however, is describing. If anyone has not seen it, the the Cajun one is more of a looks like a spicy mayonnaise. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like an orangish cream sauce, whereas the the chili sauce is more like a sweet and sour, like a sweet chili, like you would see uh, with a Vietnamese egg rolls or something that you can buy. Um, you know, in the bottles. That's what I, I relate that. Yeah, but like to. darker and more. But yeah, but darker. Well, it Actually, has some heat to it. It, it does. It's, it's yeah. hotter than I thought. But yeah. um, McDonald's did a hot, spicy McNugget thing uh, last year too, um, and I tried those, and those were pretty, pretty good too. They were spicy. It was spicy nuggets and a spicy sauce. Um, and that was probably the last time I actually had nugget uh, chicken McNuggets. Was that? Speaking probably of Buffalo, because it was when, new. <laughs> when I used to frequent McDonald's, that I would always order an extra packet of buffalo sauce uh, or mm. a side packet of buffalo sauce. They're, they got a good buffalo. I don't know. So, mm-hmm. um, Hannah, what do you yeah. think of this Cajun sauce? Have you this got- Cajun sauce is, I like it. It's like toasty. <laughs> I can't describe it. It's got a Cajun, like a smoky. Like a smoky mm-hmm. flavor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's good. And the creaminess of it is is good too, I feel. I'll say that when I smelled it, I thought it smelled like a Thousand Island dressing. I thought it smelled exactly like that, but when I tasted it, it looks like very much not that. Yeah, I'm not gonna say like furthest thing from, but it's like it's pretty far from it. These are pretty good sauces. (laughs) Yeah, I'm for it. I would buy bottles of these little bottles. So I'm I'm curious. Did any of you think that they were gonna come out with more of like a gochujang style sauce? No, I thought the meal was gonna be. Not just we're gonna take an existing meal and oh. add the most basic <laughs> complimentary thing to it and say this is now a collaboration with a Korean group. <laughs> okay, it's gonna be something way different. But wasn't there like a thing about when Mulan came out in the early mid '90s that they did like a yeah 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 Mulan Szechuan sauce? Yeah, mm-hmm. did yeah. did y'all have that? I don't and know if I does did. It? Okay, because I I, it I didn't even yeah. So, but was it the same as the I don't know. I feel like when Mulan, the live action movie came out, there was like some chatter about the McDonald's Szechuan sauce. So I, I don't know. So that's like, when I heard about this, I was like, oh, it's like 
the McDonald's and Mulan partnership, but different. That one was really dark. I, as I, the Szechuan, the Szechuan sauce was very dark. Mm-hmm. It was more yeah. of a dark. Um, I mean, it would be something like on a, a like a kung pao spicy chicken mm. dish or something like that. It was it was definitely different. It wasn't as sweet as this one is. Yeah, I didn't even like that one. Yeah, I don't think I yeah. ever had that. I don't think I ever tried it. I was definitely too young, and my parents were like, "You're not eating McDonald's." And I was like, "But I just want to have smart. a meal." So, Your parents whatever. are smart. My mm-hmm. parents just did it. Were just like, "Here's the McDonald's," and I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> to their credit, I was probably like three at the time. So, like, you're not old enough. So, right. That is really. That's they're good like, "We'll give it to you if you can say it," and be like, "I can't say it." <laughs> I will say, I thought that. Even if it was going to be just a meal like it is, that there would be a BTS something in the bu- in the mm-hmm. bag, like, like a, a sticker kids pack? meal, but like give me a toy, yeah, give me a sticker, yeah. ju- even just the like this. It could be a penny sized sticker. What? I How like big are the U.S. pennies that you're using? They're like this big. I got a bunch of half dollars <laughs> custom made to only cost one cent. You know what you got, Patrick? They're mostly made you, of a, a little you got foil. A bag. <laughs> Okay. Not real. They're mostly not real. <laughs> but they are minted by the U.S. Department of yeah. <laughs> If you kept the sauces, uh, you could have stored them on your shelf or f- and then mm-hmm. sold them later down the road for hundreds of dollars. Big bucks. Well, I'm going to keep my bag. <laughs> yeah, because they would have still been good at that point. The, hey, like, McDonald's was... builds their food to last. The sauces remember probably would be. Who did it? Somebody, some company did it. It was either... I want to say either Popeyes or Chick Fil A or somebody had like a limited edition sauce that everybody was freaking out. Or was that the Szechuan? Rick sauce? and Morty. They did a sauce that people. Yes, the Rick out and Morty sauce. Right. <laughs> That's what yeah. it was, and it was yeah. like selling for like hundreds or yeah. something of dollars. Oh, I thought this was a bit in Rick and Morty. I was like, I no. believe that. Well, no, it, it was at first. Yeah, when they made it. But it was originally Rick just is yeah, yeah, yeah. Obsessed with the Mulan Szechuan sauce. Oh yeah, that's what it is. Yes. Yep. We pieced it together. And they like all the fans are like asking to bring it back because of Rick. That's really yeah. Funny. They brought it back for like one day, I think, and it was just complete chaos. <laughs> well, this would have been more authentic if you had opened uh, like a bottle, like they do in the BTS does. We should also have butter playing very. I've literally low not in the seen any of their. No, we would definitely get slammed for copyright. What if we just sing it? <laughs> I only know I only know the very first line. Smooth like butter. And then I don't know the rest of the song. Is that it? Is that even the line? <laughs> Give me the line again. Uh line. <laughs> oh my Patrick God. is asking for a line reader from a producer that doesn't exist. There's no one else in this room, just myself. <laughs> Sorry. Line. <laughs> Chomping on my crispy nuggets. Yeah. Can't help you. Like, oh, this man. is how much we know BTS. Yeah. Like, a perfect example. Like, <laughs> yeah. We don't know. We don't know. We're at. Sure. Yeah. We are <laughs> hemorrhaging followers. Good, <laughs> good, good for them. Good I mean, for we're them. Gaining, we're gaining all the other followers who are like, I know that I should know BTS, but I right. don't. And I finally found people who are honest about it. Because I can't. Congratulations. Be. That's all I have to say. Good job. Like, should I be learning? Should BTS. I listen to them? Who recommends. If you like sensitive, emotional boy band music and some summertime bops, but it's not like, like emo music that screams like no, no, no. no. It's just like it's like I am emotionally intelligent, <laughs> you know, like just that. So here's some Korean and there's some English because I speak two languages, <laughs> like that. So good. A gentle guitar and an 808 till and you know that cool I can beat. groove, but I In got some feels. It's like nice dance moves. So, and then, yeah, some dances. 
Yeah. <laughs> so for those who watch, anyways, uh, so that has been our review of BTS Neil from McDonald's. Listen to you do that a whole album. <laughs> Same. I think, to be honest. Josh, <laughs> people, let us know if you want to hear KJ ad lib his freestyling own, free, music. Yeah. yeah, freestyle a K pop album by himself. And what he's thinking about. <laughs> I'm brushing my teeth and now I'm going to the market. That's just business time. I'm going to sleep. (laughs) (laughs) That's my contribution. Thanks. That was about as good. (laughs) I do have to say so these French fries are better with the Cajun sauce, I think, and then the sweet chili is good. Oh, dude, I think it's the opposite. I agree with that. Mm. You said better Uh, with the Cajun? Because I'm a ranch French fry guy, so as people will know. So it's so, a creamy sauce. I think if you're going to eat something with a sauce, then the thing that you eat with the sauce needs to be like sauce first, right? So, which actually I think is a really great choice for the chicken McNugget. Um, but because of the thickness of the Cajun sauce, um, the chicken McNugget pairs really well with that. But uh, I think that the sweet chili sauce is better with fries because the fries allow the sweet chili sauce to be more of the hero of the flavor in your mouth. Right. Whereas if you eat sweet chili sauce with a chicken McNugget, you're like, there's a lot of chicken McNugget for however much sauce I just ate. So that's my particular mm-hmm. pairing of choice. I have not cross dipped yet, though. I'm cross dipping right now. Oh, dip. Two sauces oh, in dip. one. Dang. And he just passes out. And <laughs> just... boom. We lost Nathan to the other dimension. Head explodes. It is creamy, you- it is sweet, it is spicy, it is a combination of all of those now. I think that was a pretty good bite. You guys should try it. Unless you're out of it already. Then I'm sorry. I did try it. I'm about out of sweet oh, chili. Man, I haven't had McDonald's fries in a while. I, I know, I'm, they're... they're. It's like I'm back on the addicting. wagon. They're very addicting. I was eating them in the car, and I have to say, it's, I don't think there's ever been a time when I've picked up McDonald's French fries and not had to eat a few of them while I was driving home. Mm-hmm. I, well, yeah, I, I think it's impossible. Good. I think that's fries in general. Like I do that whenever I get fries from anywhere I'm driving home. I'll always eat a few fries. Well, McDonald's, y- you got us. <laughs> All right, yeah. Ratings. Yep. Anna, <clears throat> oh. what do you think? What would you give this out of five McNuggets? Individually or collectively? As a meal, as a whole. Um, yeah, as, just as rate a, the BTS meal out of five chicken McNuggets. Oh, uh, I'd give it like a 3.5. Okay. Whoa, okay. Any particular reasoning? Because <laughs> the Mulan Szechuan sauce sucked, and these are epic. Like like you said, I would eat either of these but with any other food, anytime. Sure. Pretty good. Pretty good work. Mm-hmm. But because it's McDonald's and it's very unhealthy, it gets lowered. So it's mm. the three point five. That's I a like rough it. time. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> McDonald's. You just out there being you, killing the game, and that just automatically handicaps you into any game that you put yourself into. Well, I, I, you asked for it. It's true. I mean, we we all know it, McDonald's <laughs> is not a health food. We all seen uh, supersize me. Okay, yeah, exactly. We, all we know. know. Yes. So. You know, I have to fall back on everything in moderation. So, you know, I'm, I, this is like the first time I've had McDonald's in over a month, I think. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, health wise, I'm not going to, I'm, you know, not going to blow up. I might. Yet. Yet. 
<laughs> but I do like uh, eating this every once in a while for sure. It brings back memories of my childhood, which maybe means I ate it too much as a child. I don't know. But yep, I think as a whole meal, the sauces, each of the sauces were good. Yeah, I'll give it a I'll give it a four point two five. Four and a quarter. Yeah. Okay. Four and a there. quarter. I'll give it a four. Uh, oh, sorry. I just no, steamrolled you right there. I tend to do you're that. Good. Um, I'm finding out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I'm just here to bounce back like a tennis ball. Bounce back. <laughs> like a tennis Bounce back ball. like a something, something. Um, I gave it a four. Uh, I think, honestly, for the same reasons of health that Hannah noted. Like, if it was any, if it was like, I made these nuggets and fries, and then it was the sauce, a five. The sauces on their own, which for sure eat, would eat again. But mm. I can feel that my heart has stopped and all the blood is no longer flowing through my body because my arteries are clogged from the salt wow. on the fries. So four and, out of five. Uh, that's, a, that's a series wrap on the John Chu show. <laughs> We've left, we're down two co-hosts at this point. Nathan, Nathan exploded twice. He did. And Patrick is just slowly dying. Um, I'm going to give this a four because... On the whole, here's the deal. So marketing copy for the BTS meal said, best enjoy with fries and a Coke. I prefer Dr. Pepper over Coke. So this isn't on you, BTS. is on you, McDonald's. Don't tell me how to live my life. Okay? So <laughs> that's a good old Texas boy for you right that's there. That's a thing. That's a markdown number one. Markdown number two is you can only get these sauces with the BTS meal. So like, if I could get this, but like with a burger, that would be amazing. You know, like to be able to double dip. My double quarter pounder and like a that would have been awesome. So I'm giving it four out of five uh, double dipped sauces because it only it's I just feel a little limited. I feel a little boxed in, but really for what it does, I think McDonald's is crushing the game with these sauces. Mm-hmm. Um, so forget health considerations because that's as soon as you said McDonald's, you said you don't care about that for right now. <laughs> that's so very true. Put that aside that and just say true. four out of five. This is good. Um, I actually got a Coke because of that same marketing. Uh, marketing, <laughs> not, a marketing. not a joke. I'm like, well, don't I'm just be get a, a Coke. sheeple, Patrick. Yeah, well, I like Coke on. better than Dr. Pepper. Uh, all right. Well, now well, we're now we're just not friends. Yeah. Now we're just fighting, <laughs> and that is the death of the John Take that, Show. Texas, that- Texans. <laughs> Well, I went with coffee, wow. as you can see. You know, <laughs> I thought that was milk. I, I'm an oh, adult, I guess it's like three in the afternoon. And I, for you, I right? need so. caffeine. So okay, yeah, that's fair. Sorry, that's fair. I just came up with an idea, and maybe we I'll do this for another episode. But BTS meal and a hamburger. Put the sauces on the hamburger and a couple nuggets in it as well. Ooh. Gross. A couple nuggets on the burger and what? then yes. dip the burger in both sauces. It's a chicken nope. burger. Nope. BTS sandwich. Nope. I, I like I like the name of that actually. Chicken burger BTS sandwich. There could be something happening there. Yeah. Nope. It's all for about sure. fusion, KJ. Sure. KJ. About fusion. We can get into it on our next solo episode and I'll explain to you. KJ why has jumped out of the window. He's I not have... happy about this. <laughs> Cow, cows and chickens should not be mixing. Okay. Oh man. I get it. All right. Well that will definitely be yes. followed up on for sure. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Um, all right. Well, Hannah, thanks again for joining us. Please, uh, for our audience at home, where can people find you? Where can they get your book? Uh, how do people get in touch with you? Okay. Well, you can go to my website, which is thehannahleewrites.com and get my book or Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And then it's going to be coming out a couple other places soon, but I do not know where yet. Um, sorry. What was the other question? Uh, where else can they find me? Uh, yeah. Instagram and Twitter. The Perfect. Hannah Lee. 
at the Hannah Lee. I just felt said right. at Instagram and Twitter, but it's <laughs> at the real Hannah Lee. Perfect. Um, well, you can find us at John She Show on all the social media platforms. You can send us an email to johnsheshow.com or johnsheshow at justlikemedia.com. Um, you can, we would love if you go to the website, johnsheshow.com slash support, and you can see all the different ways that you can support us here on the show. And if you're feeling really froggy, we'd love for you to hop over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review and subscribe to us wherever you do get those podcasts. Um, it really helps us. And it's, I love to see those things come through the inbox. So you can so find me froggy. at <laughs> very froggy. Uh, you can find me at Patrick in the world on Instagram uh, or on my website at, or my website, Patrick in the world dot me. <laughs> You're the worst rivet. <laughs> you can find me at KJ Relke on all the places that I want to be found or, uh, if you want to see what I do, I also have a website. It's Relke. Oh, it's kj.relke.info. It's a lot of dots. Well, <laughs> I just wanted to pay for one domain, and subdomains are free, so I got smart about it, bro. Okay. <clears throat> hey, dot it up, man. It's better. It's, it's makes it work. <laughs> you can find me at Nowak Photo on Instagram. I also have a website, NathanNowak.com. <laughs> I just wanted to be included. It's yeah. just wedding photos, but yes, feel free to enjoy them. <laughs> you yeah. are always Pictures included. of brides and grooms. Nathan's gotten married so many times. <laughs> <laughs> to, to Allison. We should, we should clarify. They've had multiple weddings. <laughs> they... um, multiple, multiple weddings. Yeah, every year, actually. Tangent real quick. We actually were at a hotel one time, and there was a wedding of a Nathan and Allison, and we jokingly said we should crash it. <laughs> Wait, you didn't crash it? No. What the heck? Wow. I know. We thought about it, though. Who said to not crash it? Did you both make a joint decision or one of you? I think we both Okay, did. smart answer. rude. <laughs> Diplomatic answer. I like it. Um, all right. Well, that was another episode. So I guess we'll go ahead and hang we it up. We did it. And Yay. this. We'll see you next week. We'll, yeah. Okay. John Chi Heyo. <laughs> John Chi Heyo. Bye. <laughs> I forgot how the show ends. <laughs>